Join me in reading the scripture, please. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Lord, we come to you, hungry people, hungry for what you have to teach us, hungry for your word, and because of the spirit that you have put in our heart, desiring to be fed, we pray that you would be with Pastor Addison today, that your Holy Spirit would be with him as he breaks the word for us. We, more importantly, Lord, perhaps, we pray that you would be with us and that the Holy Spirit would be with us so that our hearts would be open and soft and receptive to the message that Addison will bring and that we will take it to heart and leave here so that others can see you in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You got that, though. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. Glad that you're with us this morning for worship. It is really a, a pleasure to be with you. And uh, glad that hopefully you survived this uh, second week of, of winter chaos. Well, I don't know how many of you were affected by the power outage, but it's probably a, a pretty high percentage, I would suppose we were. And so uh, my wife and I have been wondering what you know, this West Michigan weather was like early January. It was fine, right? It was perfect. Last week, we had a polar vortex. This week, we were getting ice. Next week, we're going to have a snow hurricane probably is what I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing. Let's, let's hope not, right? But it's good to be here in the house of the Lord to bring you guys God's word together. Um, you know, we're continuing in our, our series, Tales of the Kingdom, looking at parables and what they reveal about God's kingdom for us. 
And so we've been moving quite along uh, through this, uh, looking at various parables of Jesus. And this morning we come to this parable, the parable uh, aptly titled of the unforgiving servant. And as I was uh, thinking about this parable this week and just kind of reflecting on my time indoors with my kids over the past couple of weeks, you know, I've been teaching them lots of games. Uh, whether that's like soccer or football, you know, how to, how to play catch. We've got this uh, board game that Theo, our, our oldest, really likes. It's, uh, it's kind of a fantasy board game. You spin a little dial, you have a hero, a rival, and all these different characters. But like a good game, it has rules, and it has boundaries that you have to play within the rules. And Theo, being three years old, is still grasping the idea of what rules are and how to play within the rules. I have to remind him that he can't pick a, a hero if he rolled a rival, and he can't pick the magical object if he uh, rolled a place. He has to play within the rules because that's what makes the game fun and fair for everyone. The same is true for other sporting events, too. i got to teach him that if we're playing soccer, he can't use his hands unless he has gloves on, then he's a goalie. Uh, he doesn't quite understand that, and so sometimes we play catch. So we are, we're working there. But, I, you know, I would contend that you and I are a lot like little ones in this. You know, we tend to, to kind of want to make our own rules and to play our own games. We want to live within the world in the way that we want to live in it. And we want to navigate this place that we call Grand Rapids, our life with our wants and desires first. But what we're learning about this kingdom that God has for us, that we live in as his people, is that there seems to be a set of parameters and rules set in place. And what we're going to see in this parable and all the other parables that we've seen, that only when we begin to live into those, within those rules and parameters, are we going to live in the kingdom in a way that God has intended it. You know, the king has given us a set of rules. He's given us a set of parameters. And he expects his people to live within those. That's certainly what we see in this parable. I think it's very clear that this is the point that Jesus is getting at in the parable. And so we have to find our place we have to live within the king's kingdom and not our own kingdom. And we can do that because we've been adopted in. As Brian said earlier in his liturgy and as we have sung about, we have been adopted in, grafted in, called children of God, sons and daughters of the living king. And since that's true, we have to find how, we have to work out how to live within that kingdom. And when we look at our parable, we'll see and we'll learn about the kingdom uh, in three different ways. You know, in these three ways will help us understand how to live in the kingdom. You know, we're going to see that this is a kingdom of forgiveness and that the king expects his people 
to live with forgiving hearts. I think that's abundantly clear. If you look at verse 35, this is Jesus' commentary on this parable. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We got to remind ourselves, who is you? Who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to the disciples. So if you go back and look at the very beginning of, of chapter 18, you notice that Jesus is teaching the disciples, and the, they ask him a question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus just starts talking and giving them things. And by the end of it, they're probably like, probably should have never asked him that question. But he's talking to the disciples so he's talking to, to those of us that would call ourselves followers of Christ. And so this is a text for us as believers to, to understand what does Jesus expect from us, especially as we think about living in his kingdom. And if you don't find yourself following Christ, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a believer, this is a text for you to, to, to consider the invitation. You, you have been forgiven. All of us here have been forgiven. And in Christ is the way that we find uh, the most meaning, the, the, the best way to walk in this world. This is a world that was created by the king and for his servants and his people. And this is a text that invites us to consider what does that look like? And to really ask, do the Christians that I know, are they forgiving people? Because parables reveal the heart these stories are so good, they're simple, yet they reveal such deep things. And so like I said, we're going to look at three different aspects of the kingdom. We're going to look at who does the forgiving, why forgiveness is needed, and what is the response of forgiveness. So that very first point, who does the forgiving? Well, if you look at our text, I mean, I think it's just abundantly clear where the forgiveness comes from. You know, verses 23 through 27, we get the, the first movement in the story, in the parable. And, and it's all about the king and this servant. You know, we see the gracious heart of the king. So he is settling accounts. So he didn't, this servant didn't come to him. The king was already settling his accounts. He was looking at those people that were in his court, in his kingdom, and he was settling accounts with all of them. You know, there's a note here of sort of eschatological judgment, uh, end days, sort of the king looking at his constituents and saying, you know, how, how do they stand before me? That's supposed to be notes that we're going to pick up on here, and certainly the Jews would have picked up on that uh, as they were thinking about and, and hearing this text. And so this servant is brought before him. Again, he didn't come to him. He was brought before him, and he has a massive debt, 10,000 talents. And 10,000 talents is a lot, and we'll get to that sum a bit later. But as we move through the story, we see that the, the king by all accounts, could have made this man pay his debt, stay in jail, serve him for the rest of his life, even though he would never have been able to pay that debt back. But instead, we see the gracious heart, the mercy, the love, the tenderness, uh, the, the pity that the king has on this servant, and he forgives him of that debt. He forgives him, and he lets him go. He lets him move back into the court. 
And so the king here is a gracious king, a merciful king. And the king also represents his kingdom. So the kingdom is to look as the king looks. So we're getting a picture very early of of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And that king is gracious. That king is merciful. And he expects his kingdom to look the same way. You know, this king, there's there's an Old Testament word, sedekim, which means righteous, the righteous people. And this this is certainly how the king is living. He's living as a righteous one. And his righteousness is, is passed on to this servant who did not deserve it. And this looks different than the day. You know, righteousness was such a, a measurable thing. If you even look at the beginning, we, we included those verses 21 and 22, uh, very famous verses that Peter asks Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You know, of the day... In Judaism, it just required three times. And then that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, you you didn't have to forgive people, and you could still stand righteous. You could still stand okay. You did not have to forgive your brother after the third time. So Peter is saying, look, I'll go above and beyond more than two times. And what does Jesus say? He said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some other translations have different numbers in there. I'm not a mathematician. I'm a pastor. And so all I know is what that speaks to me is that Jesus is saying, there is no end to the forgiveness you offer your brothers and sisters. As they come to you and repent of their sins, you are to offer forgiveness to them. You're to relieve them of that debt that they have. Now, obviously, repentance is a big part of that. If your brother and sister is coming to you with the same sin over and over and over again, we just have to go a few verses up to the very famous church discipline passage to know that we take them to other people. So this is not that sort of forgiveness. But if your brother and sister come to you in in different sins each time, we're to offer forgiveness. Repentance is there. We're to offer forgiveness. You know, in this parable, it's also called a king parable. And the king is a placeholder for God. I think we all probably knew that, but I'll just spell it out. You know, this is not just a hypothetical king in a hypothetical kingdom, but this is this is God. This is God and God's kingdom that we're looking at. This is a common, um, uh, they would do this a lot in, in these king parables in Old Testament, New Testament, folklore, and myth. You know, the, the king would be a placeholder for God. You know, and the king's authority and power, it can't be overruled and it cannot be questioned. And so when the king forgives and offers his forgiveness, that's final. There's no question And that's a big forgiveness for this man, 10,000 talents. So by most of the commentaries that I read, almost all of them agree that this was equivalent to about $6 billion in debt today. So I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. Um, Probably more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime, it's fair to say. You know, Michigan has 12 billionaires, right? So this man's debt put him in the top 12 people just in Michigan. So there's a lot of debt. 
And the king forgives him of this $6 billion debt, the 10,000 talents. It's not as if he just wrote that debt off. It's not how debt works. It's not how forgiving debt works. I mean, he had to absolve that debt into himself. He had to t- take it on to himself. He had to, the, the buck stopped with him, quite literally, on this one. But if you notice a few verses in after he forgives him, he's still called a servant. So his identity doesn't change. His situation changes, but his identity does not change. He's still a part of the king's court. Now, God forgives us of our debt. We sang about that. We, we've heard about that already. You know, we have a massive debt, and God has forgiven us of that. It's all fall short, and the, the wages of sin is death. And Romans you know, spells this out very clearly for us. But Christ has paid that for us. And that's what Jesus is trying to show the disciples and us here in this parable, is that God is a forgiving God. And we're to rejoice in that. We're to delight in that truth that that God is a forgiving God, that the debt that you and I cannot pay, God has paid for us. And he's taken that on himself. Like I said, it's not an easy debt to forgive. It requires payment. A couple summers ago, we were on a boat with some of our friends. Kids were in there, Theo, and a couple of their kids were in there. And they they were playing with some toys in the boat and was talking with... Uh, my friend and uh, Theo had grabbed one of these wooden cars that they had on their boat to keep the kids occupied and to play with. And it was pretty choppy water, so we were going pretty slow. And, and Theo was playing with the car, and, and as a two-year-old about that time, two-and-a-half-year-old, he didn't quite understand what would happen if he dropped it into the water. I mean, I think he thought it was like a big bathtub. He'd just get it back later. So he dropped it in the water. And you could just sort of see the look on these other kids' faces like, what are you doing? We're never going to get that car back. And a couple of them started to cry a little bit, and, and Theo didn't quite understand what was going on, so he came back to me and was crying. Of course, we, you know, I felt really bad, and so we offered to buy another car for them, but apparently this is a car that each one of the kids had and passed on to the next kid, and so it had some sentimental value to it as well. So there really wasn't a price tag on it in terms of these kids' eyes. <clears throat> but they didn't make us you know, buy another one. We, we definitely offered. But, but that's what this is like, right? So those kids feel that loss. That car is gone. And the only way to get that back is if we buy a new one or they don't get it back. And they feel that loss. And every time they go on that boat, they remember that they don't have that car anymore. Well, that's what our debt is like. You know, and Jesus took that and he paid it for us. He took it on himself. His life and his death and his resurrection were to pay for, to ransom our sins so that we could stand forgiven. Jesus took our sin, we took his righteousness so that we could stand before God. Because we certainly couldn't pay it ourselves. And that's just a truth that we have to delight in. We have to find uh, the, the power, the will, the, 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 the grace and mercy to be able to delight in that truth daily. To remember it Monday through Saturday. 
and not have to wait for Sunday to come to be reminded of the, God, of the Lord's grace to us. So as we think about our shortcomings and our sin, our iniquities, the way that we wrong one another in God, we can remind ourselves that in Christ we've been forgiven. So I love the Isaiah 30, 15 passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Your salvation is in returning and rest. Returning and rest. Returning. Another good word for that would be repentance. And rest, rest in Christ. Returning to Christ and resting in Him, that is where our salvation is. And that's what Jesus is helping us see here in this parable. Okay, but why is forgiveness needed? So why, why do we need to be forgiven? We've talked about the sin, and we've talked about our debt. And so He offers this man forgiveness. And, and we'll see that through this account that you know, there is, there's so much need for you and I I mean, this servant has a very ungracious heart, doesn't he? So if the king has a gracious heart, this servant has an ungracious heart. I mean, just look at what he does after he's forgiven, right? So verse 27, he's forgiven. And then 28. But when that same servant, so you notice his identity hasn't changed. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. In seizing him, he began to choke him. He didn't even give him a second. He found him, he seized him, he choked him, because this man owed him 100 denarii. And if you notice verse 29 and 26, so you've got the the servant begging the king in in verse 26, and then in 29, the servant begging the servant, the, the language is almost identical. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He even said the same thing to him. And you would think that he would have remembered just not so long ago that he had just been forgiven of this massive debt, yet he doesn't. He doesn't. And he sends him away, takes him to jail. And we notice that this, is, this does not go unnoticed. You know, his fellow servants see this, and they do the right thing, uh, it's a justified tattling, if you will. They go and tell the, the master because this man is not living within the way that the king had set up his kingdom, and it's affecting the king's kingdom. And so they go and they tell the master. You know, it was affecting the kingdom. The king had to deal with it. I mean, the servant's response was incredulous. I mean, think about you know, how we may respond to something like this. Let's, you know, take those of us that have a mortgage or a car payment. Maybe you've got medical bills or school loans. Let's say you got a phone call from the bank and they said, you know, hey, your note on your loan has been forgiven. We're going to go ahead and absolve that. We're going to take it from you. You do not owe us anything else for that. And you hang up the phone. It'd be like the first thing that you do is call your neighbor and say, hey, I mean, remember that $20 you owe me for pizza? I can't really use that right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over and get that right this second. I mean, the, just the, the idea of that just it seems strange. It seems strange that you would be given, been forgiven so much, yet when you have this little amount that someone owes you, you're unwilling to forgive them for that. You know, we've been talking monetary this whole time, but it's not all monetary. 
You know, a lot of times the debt that is held is one of reputation or one of opportunity. Maybe there's a real deep hurt that's happened because of of something that someone said to you or the way they may have categorized you in a certain situation, belittled you in a conversation. There's, There's many ways that we can be hurt. We are sinful people, and we're broken. As we see in this servant, and the need for forgiveness is there. Because we live in a, in a broken world, a world where people are going to forget things that are important to us or forget our stories in ways that the world has really hurt us and they're going to pick at those scabs knowingly or unknowingly. And we have to be able and be willing to forgive from our hearts if we're ever going to be able to move past that. And knowing what forgiveness is, is vitally important for us to do that. And thankfully, we've been given an example in our text. You know, verses 23 through 27, we get this great picture of what it looks like to offer forgiveness from the king. So the king shows us four uh, crucial steps in how we can forgive people. We assess the debt. We take pity. We cancel the debt, and then we let him or her go. So we assess the debt, take pity, cancel the debt, and let him or her go. So in assessing the debt, I mean, that's where we don't blow over it, right? We don't just ignore the debt that is there. So the king is taking account of of the money that is owed to him. So likewise, for you and I, as, as we have been wronged, we assess that debt. You know, that person said something that really hurt me. You know, they, they really cut me deep with those words, and this is how it affected me. You know, it hurt my identity. It hurt my pride. It, it hurt my reputation or whatever that is. Or perhaps it's, it's something a bit more serious. You know, th- that person has abused me, whether that's emotionally, mentally, physically, and this is what it's cost me. It's, it's cost me my self-identity. It's cost me my, my feeling. It's cost me how I see myself in this world. It's cost me security. And so we assess that debt. And that's hard work, right? It's, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to, to ask ourselves, how deep does this wound go? But then we take pity. It's kind of a, a funny word, but, you know, we extend our hearts. We reach out in compassion to the person that has wronged us. We put ourselves in their shoes, if you will. Maybe they didn't have all the information. Maybe they did. They're broken just like me. Let me put myself in their shoes and, and understand, you know, what may have led them to go down this path. And I could see how I would have done that too. And perhaps I even have done that to someone as well. So when we take pity, when we extend compassion to people, we're willing to see things from their eyes as the king did. The king took pity on the servant. He heard what the servant said. 
He saw his situation and that it was going to cost him everything. And he had pity on him. And then he canceled the debt. I think that this one and the next one are the the most difficult ones to do in all of this. Because somebody has to absorb that debt. Again, we've been talking monetary, but if that's your reputation or your security that you have to absorb, that's very difficult to do. When someone has wronged you in such a way as abuse, absorbing that into yourself, it's just difficult. It's hard, it's, but it's real work that we have to do. And then we let him go. And we see that the king lets the servant go. He doesn't hold this over him. He forgives him before even feeling about it. Notice that there's, there's no inner monologue in the king's mind. Well, should I forgive him? Should I not forgive him? He really owes me a lot of money, but maybe I should just... No, he lets him go before feeling it. See, if you and I don't ever feel like forgiving someone, we probably won't. If we're waiting for our feelings to catch up, we probably will never forgive. You see, and all this is only possible because we've been adopted in as children of the loving God. So when our identity, our security, those opportunities go missing, we can turn back on Christ because that's all that we need. Because in Christ, we have everything that we need, everything that identifies us in this world, Everything that will sustain us in this world, we get from Christ because of his life, death, and resurrection. But there is hard work to be done. And our choices do reveal our true allegiance to the kingdom of God, as we see in our text. And forgiveness is needed. So what does forgiveness require? So what, what's required in the king's kingdom? And this is our last point, and we're going we're gonna to bring this home. You know, the king condemns the servant. So if you remember, his fellow servants come to him, and, and they tattle on him, if you will, and they say, look, this guy is not, his heart has been revealed, king. He is ungracious. He took your graciousness for granted, So we have to assume that these other servants knew what was going on. They probably knew this man's debt. They probably knew that he had been forgiven and he was freed and let go. And now they know that he is unwilling to forgive even a small amount. So we see the judgment and justice of the king. And let's just be honest, the the king's response seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? So the master summoned him, verse 32, and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And we know he's not going to be able to pay all that debt. He owes $6 billion, 10,000 talents. He is not going to be able to pay that debt. This this man has been condemned. He went from canceling a huge debt to making him pay it. This should be hard for us to hear. I think that that's a part of the point. You know, a scholar uh, that I read I think has a great 
quote on this part of the scripture. He says, Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. You see, because God is so passionate, compassionate, so merciful, has so much grace, he cannot accept those who do not have compassion and mercy as this servant did. He was lacking that, and so he had to be absolved, or he had to be brought back into the jail. The king requires righteousness in his kingdom, because remember, this is his kingdom. And so we ask ourselves, I think rightly, we ask ourselves, is this a works-based righteousness? It seems like how we could believe that, we could see that. Our hearts probably want us to land there. We want to say, okay, great, this gives me a just cause to be able to, to, to earn my salvation, to earn my righteousness. You know, does our salvation depend on our ability to forgive one another? I mean, if you look at the, the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew 6, we sang it and we, we read it earlier. Uh, it it kind of seems like maybe that, that could be the case, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus' commentary just below that, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then if you look at a different passage, Mark 11 Verse 25, here's something very similar. This is the lesson from the withered fig tree. Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So it seems to be a bit backwards in the way that, that we think, right? It seems to say, if we forgive, God will forgive us, right? That's what our passage is saying. That's what those different passages were saying as well. So is this a works-based righteousness? Like a good Presbyterian, I'm going to go to catechisms. So I'm going to look at a catechism to help us understand these, this, this conundrum, if you will. So... Should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? No, they should not, as everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. To seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. Great, that's sort of what we all thought the answer should be, right? But what do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that this man who was not willing to forgive is now being condemned? What do we do? I think a next question in this catechism gives us some more clarity. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word, right? That's what we're looking at. Should we still do good works and obey God's word? Yes, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits, and so that by our godly behavior, others may be won to Christ. So forgiveness reveals the heart. Just like this servant's heart was revealed to be ungracious, our hearts are revealed in our willingness or unwillingness to forgive. 
Matthew 25 is a parallel passage to this point. You know, the Lord on Judgment Day is separating those who inherit the kingdom and those who do not. And it comes down to works. Why? Because works reveal the heart. They reveal our true allegiance. I was just in Jamaica for some mission stuff, and uh, you could take grapefruit trees, right? Put two grapefruit trees right next to each other, and one has an abundance of grapefruit. They're orange. They, you can probably even smell how sweet they taste just sitting on the tree. And the other tree has no fruit, right? It's the right season. It should have fruit, but it doesn't have fruit. You know, the fruit reveals the life and the health of the tree. So on the one hand, you have a grapefruit tree that has lots of life, lots of fruit. On the other hand, you have a diseased tree it has no life because it has no fruit. The fruit does not give the tree life. It reveals its life and its health. And so it is with you and I. I think Jesus is being very clear here and putting it plainly. If you and I are unwilling to forgive from our hearts, I'm not sure we're believers. If you and I are unwilling to forgive from our hearts, I'm not sure the gospel has sunk in. Now let's be clear. This isn't a once or twice sort of thing, okay? I, I couldn't forgive that person of the $20 they owed me for pizza, therefore I'm probably not, uh, you know, this gospel hasn't sunk in. But if this is a repetitive thing in our life, if we're unwilling to offer forgiveness to others consistently, I think Jesus is, is being very clear in, that, in this passage. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. So this is a passage that is asking us to examine our hearts you know, the invitation is for us to consider the work, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Christ. You know, and how much we have been forgiven. So much. 10,000 talents, $6 billion worth of debt. Our sin has been canceled for us. We have received Christ's righteousness. Therefore, we are to respond in obedience with hearts of forgiveness, willing to forgive our neighbors and our, and our brothers and sisters here in this congregation for the ways that they may wrong us. You know, later in the second service, we're going to welcome some new members. And a part of being members one to another is being willing to, to love and forgive one another. Being able to absolve those debts so it's an invitation for us to consider our allegiance, to recognize that the king's kingdom looks like a kingdom of forgiveness, to realize how much we have been forgiven, and that we are to rest in Christ. And when we do that, we've been given everything that we need to have hearts of forgiveness. So we respond in obedience to the king. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear. Your word is good for us. Your word is full of grace. Sometimes it can sound and feel harsh, but we know that you have nothing but the best intentions for your people. You want to see us flourish. You want to see us living in your kingdom in the right way.
And therefore, you give us your word. You give us your truth that we may know how to honor you, how to glorify you, to walk in your ways. So many of us here have been hurt, Lord, in different ways because of the brokenness of this world and sin. And at times, it's very hard to forgive. And we know that in you, we have all that we need to be able to offer that forgiveness and not feel uh, a crushing debt, to not feel uh, a massive hole in our life as we uh, absorb uh, on the, 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 the debt that others have put on us. Because we know that we stand righteous before you, God, because of Christ's righteousness, justified by uh, you and his death. We now live into your kingdom. So give us the strength and the mercy and the grace we need to do that. Help us to see this not as rule and law to obey, but as, as grace and mercy to respond to. And Lord, we're going to sing of your grace and mercy. We praise you evermore. In Christ's name, amen.